us find ourselves in need of freshness, to be made fresh or refreshed. And God wants us to experience freshness in our relationship with Him and in all areas of our lives. This message is the first in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Start a New Season, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, I am extremely excited because today we start a new series of messages that I have been preparing since June of this year. In fact, God began to speak to my heart about this series of messages about the latter part of June. And it began to sort of percolate inside of me. And as I prepared throughout the summer, I began to be more and more excited about this day. Because this is the day when God wants to start something fresh in your life. And I believe that the series of messages we're going to be involved in over the next six to eight weeks, probably about eight weeks we'll be in this together, is really more than just a series. Every time that I do a series, just so you know my heart, I don't just sort of pick a topic and say, hey, let's, that'd be a cool series, let's try that. No, I try to hear God and know what He's speaking to us in a particular moment in time. And I do that for all of our series, and some series really are, are, are key for moments, and some series actually have prophetic impact upon our lives. They're, they're, they're series that will mark you for the rest of your life. And I believe that this is one of those series that can mark the rest of your life, that something can happen in the next eight weeks where God is going to change you and do something in you that you never dreamed possible. And so I believe that this is going to truly be a fresh start. And so I want to talk to you this weekend about starting out new, starting a new beginning. How do you start fresh and start new? Anybody ready for some fresh starts in your life today? I am. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and your teaching sheets. We're going to take a look in just a moment at the story of a man in the Bible that I'll talk about just in a bit, one of the kings of Judah, and we'll look at his life and understand something about him. But let me just start by helping you understand this whole concept of fresh. This past Friday night, I had the opportunity of having some of the worship team from our church over at our house uh, for a little bit of time of fellowship. By the way, don't you appreciate our worship team? Don't they do an amazing job? There, it's incredible. And all you guys that serve on the worship team, and actually not just here in the, in the main services, but youth department, access, all this, we really appreciate you because you really, uh, many times, especially on weekend services, you're here for all the services, and we really do thank you for that investment in the life of our church. But I had the, the, the team over, some of the team over at my house, and it was just one of those, those nights. It was, it was September. And, and you could feel that the season was changing, that the Christmas was in the air, and you could smell football season. You know what I'm talking about? You can smell it, okay? And in fact, I'm saying, where is the pigskin? You know, even myself, I turn into a quarterback in September, okay? Because there's something about the atmosphere, the, 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 everything's changing, the, the temperature changes, and you feel that Christmas, and it's just that freshness that you feel about fall. Anybody like fall time? I love the fall, don't you? It's incredible, especially we live, I think we live in God's country, don't you think so? Because we get to experience this fall season, and in a few weeks the leaves will be changing. It's a glorious time of the year. And there's something wonderful about freshness. I love fresh. And you can really love fresh, especially if you've experienced unfresh. Any of you ever had some unfresh in your life before? Unfresh is when your life is kind of soiled and spoiled and things are sort of deteriorating and dry. And it happens to a lot of us in a lot of different ways. Your marriage can lose its freshness. And when your marriage is not very fresh, it's not a happy place to be. 
You can lose freshness in a friendship. And when freshness in a friendship goes away, you, you find yourself arguing or distancing yourself from someone that you used to be close to. You can lose your freshness about your job where you used to enjoy going to work all the time. You, you no longer feel that excitement about the place where you're working or the investment that you're making there. And you can lose your freshness in your relationship with God. And sadly, there are a lot of people that actually have lost their freshness in their relationship with God. And, and maybe that's you today. Maybe that describes right where you are. You're not as fresh with God as you used to be. Or maybe you're not as fresh in your marriage as you used to be. Or fresh in a friendship. Or fresh in your profession as you used to be. And you know that this is a season where God is saying, I want to make you fresh again. And here's the good news. God has planned freshness for your life. God wants to bring freshness to you. Now, how does freshness happen? Freshness is not just some like magical thing that happens to you. People get fresh and stay fresh by some things they do. Now, God is a part of it. But when we do what we're supposed to do, then God does what only He can do. And when you do in the natural what you can do in the natural to bear your responsibility, God shows up and adds to your natural His supernatural. Isn't that wonderful? That He comes in and does for you, again, what you can't do, but it requires something of you. You can't just expect to sit back and say, okay, God, zap me with freshness. I wish I had one of those sticks today. I could just say, okay, line up. I'm going to whack every one of you on the head. Whoop, fresh, whoop. Fresh, whoop, fresh. I don't have one of those sticks. And by the way, it doesn't exist. What exists is us taking our responsibility to do certain things. And when we do certain things, God says, okay, now I see what you're doing and I'm going to show up in your life and I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. But it starts with some steps that we make. And I want to introduce you today to a man who made a decision to do some right things in his life that led not only himself to freshness, but led to freshness coming to, to an entire nation. And the man's name, going back many, many years, a king of Judah, a young man by the name of Josiah. Would you say his name with me? Josiah. And I want to talk to you about one particular thing that Josiah did that actually was the foundational element to him beginning to experience freshness for his own life and freshness for the, for the nation of Judah. And the one thing that he did, and there's only one point I'm going to give you today, there'll be five points underneath this, but one major point I want to give you today is this. If you want freshness in your life, here it is, you've got to get back to the Bible. You've got to get back to the Bible. Now, don't let the simplicity of that statement, get back to the Bible, go past you. Oh, you would expect a pastor to say something like that, wouldn't you? Oh, there he goes again. All pastors just say, well, read your Bible. I don't want to let the simplicity of the statement, get back to the Bible, hinder you from understanding the power of that very thing in your life. Because Josiah was a man who learned something about getting back to the Bible. And to help you to understand Josiah's life and his experience, I want to take you on a little bit of a historical journey about Hezekiah. So, excuse me, about Josiah, so you understand something about him. But before we do, I want you to read with me 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse number 33, because it describes this man, this king, Je Josiah, read it with me. Here we go. Second Chronicles 34, verse 33. Message paraphrase. Read together. 
Josiah did a thorough job of cleaning up the pollution that had spread throughout Israelite territory and got everyone started fresh again. What did Josiah do? He got everybody, say it with me, started fresh again, serving and worshiping their God. All through Josiah's life, the people kept to the straight and narrow, obediently following God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah made a decision to get fresh again with God and bring the people of God back to a place of freshness. And it all happened with him getting back to the Bible. Now, how did this transpire historically? I'm going to give you some a history lesson today. And so I realize it's early on a Sunday afternoon, but you guys are smart people, so you're ready for a history lesson. I'm going to be ready for some history today. I love history, don't you? If you don't love history, you haven't really studied it yet, or you haven't had a good history teacher. Because a good history teacher will make you love history. And once you begin to see what history teaches you, it's incredible. I'm going to take you through a history lesson today so you'll understand something about Josiah and why I'm even teaching you guys about him this afternoon. To understand something about Josiah, you have to understand a little bit about the nation of Israel. When God established the nation of Israel, ultimately over a period of time, they became a kingdom. And as a kingdom, they were initially a united kingdom. And this united kingdom had Saul and David and Solomon as the first three kings. And they lived that way for a period of time until... There was a problem after Solomon passed away. There were two guys that showed up on the scene, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam was the, uh, was the son of, uh, of Solomon. And Jeroboam was trying to take the kingdom away from Rehoboam. And so the civil war transpired between, I'll call him Ray and Jer. How about that, all right? Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And so they were not brothers, but it sounds like it. They weren't. But they were contending with each other for the nation of Israel. And so what eventually happened was Israel was split in two. So Israel became what we call a divided kingdom. And so there's a part of Israel's history where Israel was a united kingdom. After Solomon, there's a divided kingdom. And what we see is we see the kingdom to the north, and it was still called Israel. And then there was a kingdom to the south that was called Judah. And over a period of time, the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, had a succession of kings. That's why in your Bibles you will find the books 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, what this is. It's a sequence. It's telling the story of the different kings of the northern kingdom and the different kings of the southern kingdom. It's telling you about their lives. And over a period of time, what transpires here is that both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, they begin to go into idolatry. They no longer love Jehovah God. They begin to invite other gods and begin to be polytheistic in their worship rather than monotheistic in their worship. That is, they worship many, many idols and God is sort of pushed to the side. And it starts particularly with the northern kingdom of Israel and God finally, after warning Israel time and time again, God says, now you're going to experience judgment, and they were wiped out by the Assyrians. So the Assyrians wiped out northern Israel. Judah continues on for a period of time until ultimately, because of Judah's sins, they will go into Babylonian captivity. Okay, let me stop for a moment. Everybody with me on the history lesson so far? If, you, if you're still with me, wave your hand so I make sure you're still awake, all right? If you're missing any of this, get the 
MP3. And go over it again, all right? But you need to get this history. Very, very important, okay? Now, we're going to go now, forget Israel for a minute because they're gone. The ten tribes of Israel, they're gone, okay? Only two tribes here, Judah. And so now let's just focus in on Judah for a moment. There's a sequence of kings, right, in Judah. So king after king after king. Let me take you down through history to the, to the we're going to get to Josiah in a moment. But before we get to Josiah, I want to tell you about Josiah's great-great-grandfather and Josiah's grandfather and Josiah's father. Because to understand Josiah, you need to know a little bit about his family history. And Josiah's great-great-grandfather was a man that some of you might recall from your study of the Bible. His name is Hezekiah. Anybody remember Hezekiah? Hezekiah lived during a time where there was a very well-known prophet. His name was Isaiah. Anybody recognize that name? Oh, it's one of the books of the Bible. He gave lots of prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. So Isaiah lives during the time of Hezekiah. And then Hezekiah, he's a good king, does lots of good things. He messes up here and there a bit. But by and large, he's, he's pretty much a good guy. And Hezekiah has a son. And Hezekiah's son was named Manasseh. So Manasseh is going to be Josiah, I'll show you in a moment, will be Josiah's grandfather. Hezekiah, his great-grandfather, Manasseh is Josiah's grandfather. You'll see the sequence in a moment. Let's see what the Bible says about Manasseh here for a moment. Look with me in your, in your pages of Scripture there, or in your notes. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 16 and 17. Now here's God's word on Manasseh. The final word on Manasseh was he was an indiscriminate murderer. He drenched Jerusalem with the innocent blood of his victims. That's on top of all the sins in which he involved his people. As far as God was concerned, he turned them into a nation of sinners. The rest of the life and times of Manasseh, everything he did, and his sorry record of sin is written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah. So without telling you a whole lot about Manasseh, let me just say it this way. He was a very bad guy. How would you like that to be your record recorded by God in the Bible about you? A sorry sinner. Not very good, is it? And so Manasseh sets up all this idolatrous worship throughout Judah. He pushes God out of the scene. In fact, Manasseh is so mean, he's so horrible, that he hates Jeremiah so much that Manasseh had Isaiah, did I say Jeremiah, I mean Isaiah, he had Isaiah put to death. In fact, Isaiah was sawn in two by the, the, the direction of Manasseh. He was persecuted and put to death. You got to be a bad guy if you kill Isaiah, right? I don't want that on my record. How about you? Now, Manasseh, Hezekiah reigned for 29 years. Manasseh reigned for 55 years. That's a long time to have a bad guy around, isn't it? 55 years he reigns. During the time of Manasseh, he did something else. He got rid of all the Bibles. Every book of the law he found, he got rid of. He didn't want any of God's word anywhere to be found. And so Manasseh, not only did he kill Isaiah, set up all these idols everywhere around the nation of Judah, but he also gets rid of all the Bibles as well. He reigns for 55 years, almost six decades. And then we have his son that comes on the scene. His name is Ammon. And Ammon is the father of Josiah. 
Let's talk about Ammon for a moment. Look at what the Bible says about Ammon. 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 20 through 22. In God's opinion, again talking about Ammon, Josiah's father, in God's opinion, he lived an evil life just like his father Manasseh. He followed in the footsteps of his father, serving and worshiping the same foul gods his father had served. He totally deserted the God of his ancestors. He did not live God's way. So now what happens here, Ammon is on the scene only for two years. He's so wicked that he's assassinated. And then Josiah, his son, becomes king when he was eight years old. Would you like to be king when you're eight? Do we have any eight-year-olds in here today? Okay. I mean, have you seen an eight-year-old recently? We like, we like, hey, Mr. King. Yeah. Eight years old. Now, he's going to be helped to be raised by those around him in the royal court, but he has the title of king when he's eight years of age. And we don't know a whole lot about Josiah in the early years of his life until he turns 16. He's going to, by the way, ultimately reign for 31 years. But when he turns 16, everybody look this way and listen to me. Are you starting to love history now? Please say yes, please, okay? All right, please. When he's 16, the Bible says that, that Josiah begins to seek the Lord. Young people, remember something. doesn't matter how young you are, you can start seeking God, Right? He's 16 and he starts seeking God. How would this young man at 16 start seeking God? I mean, his daddy was a mess and his granddaddy was a mess. He didn't have any positive influence in his life. But God got a hold of Josiah when he was 16. Even though he had a bad dad and a bad grandfather, God said, I can still redeem you. I want to tell you something. You may have had a rotten dad and a rotten granddad, but I'll tell you, God still knows how to get a hold of you. Amen? Don't let, listen to me, don't let what your heritage has been determine what your destiny will be. I need to say that again. Don't allow your, your, your legacy, your heritage to determine what your destiny will be. Because God can reach down in your heritage and give you a new destiny for His glory. That's exactly what happened here. So at 16, Josiah says, I want to know God. I want to know who God is. And he begins to seek God. And then when the next picture we have of Josiah is when he's 20. When he's 20 years of age, he starts cleaning up the land. He gets, begins to send all these folks out to get rid of all the idols. So we've got to get rid of these idols that are all around this, this place of Judah. We don't want the idols here any longer. We've got to worship God and put Him back on the throne of worship in Israel or Judah. And so he makes this decision to clean up the land. And then six years later, when he's 26 years of age, he says, not only do we need to clean up the land, we need to pay some attention to the temple. Because Manasseh, his grandfather and his father had allowed idols to be put in the temple. They'd open up the church and put idols in it. They'd open up the temple and there were all these foreign gods in there and the temple had fallen into disrepair, disarray. It was a mess. The temple was not even functioning as a place of worship for the Lord God Almighty any longer. It was a messed up place. It was a torn apart place. It was anything but fresh. And Josiah said, we're going to do something about this. And what he does about this is he makes the decision to send one of his officials, the man, his name, Shaphan, say his name with me, Shaphan. He's one of the officials of the king to the temple 
to the high priest. His name was Hilkiah. So never let these names intimidate you. So here we've got Josiah. He's 26. And he says, hey, Shaphan. Hey, Shay. Come here, buddy. I got a job for you. I am sick of seeing all those idols in the temple. Your job is to go hook up with Hilkiah. And you need to connect with him, and you guys need to work out a plan to get the temple all cleaned up because this is no longer going to be a temple to idols. We're going to reestablish it as a temple to the worship of Almighty God. There's no longer going to be many gods. There is only one God in Israel. Am I preaching to anybody today? So Shephon says, Hey, Hill." we got a job to do. King Josiah sent us here to straighten everything up. Let's get started in the process. So they start the process of cleaning up the temple, rebuilding it, getting out all these idols, all this mess that was in the temple there, just cleaning up this, just imagine this thing in disarray. And so they go in and start cleaning it up and taking all this stuff out. And now I want you to see what happened here in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse number 8. Notice what it says. The high priest Hilkiah reported to Shaphan, the royal secretary. Now remember, what are they doing? Somebody tell me, what are they doing now? They're cleaning up the temple, right? So he reported to Shaphan, the royal secretary. I I just found the book of God's revelation instructing us in God's ways. I found it in the temple and he gave it to Shaphan and Shaphan read it. Do you understand what just happened here? After Manasseh got rid of all the Bibles, there was one Bible left in the temple. It was under all the rubble. It was under all the stuff there. And as Hilkiah is cleaning stuff up, he finds the book of the law and he brings it to Shaphan and says, Shaphan, guess what I found? We've got a Bible. We've got the book of the law. We've got the law of Moses. We now know what God says about life. So he brings it to Shaphan, and the Bible says, notice what it says here, that Shaphan, what are the last two words there? What did he do? Come on, say it with me. What did he do? Oh, that's nice. Let's build a shelf for it and put it there and make a museum of this book. No. The Bible said, what did he do? Say it again with me. He, this is going to be important in a moment. He read it. After Shaphan read it, let me stop here again for a moment. Everybody, everybody's still tracking with me so far? I know it's a long history lesson, but uh, you know, you got a great history teacher here, so you need to be engaged, all right? After Shaphan read it, notice what he does in verse 10 and 11, chapter 22 of 2 Kings. Then Shaphan, the royal secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, gave me a book. Shaphan proceeded to read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book, God's revelation, he ripped his clothes in dismay. Now you have to remember something here. No one had read, seen, or read a Bible for 60 years. Six decades practically, nobody's held a Bible, nobody's read a Bible, nobody knows what's in the Bible until they find this Bible in the temple and they bring it now to the king, Josiah, and Shaphan reads the Bible to the king. And what was he reading? He was reading the first five books of the Old Testament. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible are the law of Moses, of the Pentateuch. And so he's reading that to the king, and the king is sitting there. How long do you think it took to read five books of the Bible to the king? And the king is just sitting there. There's no sermon. There's no organ in the background playing. All that's happening is the Bible is being read. That's the only thing that's happening. And as the king is listening, by the time these five books of the law have been read to the king, Josiah, he rips his clothes and he says, God help us. He responds in repentance. It was the ripping of the royal robe that signified we have broken the law of God and we're repentant. We need to get things right with God. He recognized his level of conviction. He realized what God said versus how the people of, people of God were living. It was a day and moment of great revelation. Why? Because somebody opened up the book and somebody read the book and somebody started understanding the book. It was this moment, after 60 years of no Bible, the Bible coming on the scene, listen to me, it was this moment that brought about freshness to Josiah and freshness to Judah. Let me tell you, if you want to have a fresh life, You've got to get back to the Bible. If you want a fresh marriage, you've got to get back to the Bible. If you want a fresh or fresh friendships in your life, you have to get back to the Bible. If you want a fresh perspective on your work and your future and your employment and God's purpose for your life, you have to get back to the Bible. If you want a fresh relationship with God, you've got to get back to the Bible. Everything hinged for Judah on this moment when Josiah got back to the Bible. When the Word of God now had its place among the people of God again. Now, the Word will make you fresh. When the Word gets into you, it'll make you fresh. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 6, verse 63. He said, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, when the Word gets in you, it's the impartation of spirit. The Greek word there is pneuma. It means breath. That is, when God's Word gets in you, it's like a fresh breath coming inside of you. And my Word, when it gets in you, God says, it's life. The Greek word there is zoe. It's not bio. It is zoe. It's not biological life. He's talking about vibrant life. That is, you come alive when the Word gets in you. So I want to talk to you for the last few moments here today about how do you let the Word get in you? How do you get back to the Bible? Anybody ready to get back to the Bible in your life? I am. I'm ready to get back to it. And I'm going to give you five words that will help you, or five phrases that will help you to understand how this happens. Number one, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to read it. You can't get back to the Bible unless you read it. Amen? See, the Bible was never meant to be something that sits on the coffee table as an emblem of your faith but not a practice of your faith. And there are a lot of people, oh yeah, they have a Bible in their house, but it's on the shelf, it's on the coffee table, it's somewhere in the house, and, and they very rarely will even pick it up, and if they do pick it up, it's usually to move it over so they can dust where it's been. Okay? 
But God designed this book to be read. Why? Because in the pages of this book, between Genesis and Revelation of this book, God tells you what He's like. God tells you what He wants. God gives you information that you need to live by. And when you open up the pages of this book, it's like God downloading to you. Downloading His nature, downloading His character, downloading to you what you need to understand about how to live life. And I will tell you, there are other forces out there trying to download their information in you. And you need the Word to fill up your mind. You need to have your mind washed by the Word of God. Filled by the Word of God. And so how is that going to happen? You have to make a habit of reading it. And it really becomes a habit in your life that the Word of God becomes such a priority to you that it's a part of your day. It's a part of your life. It's not something you do on rare occasions or do just when you come to church, as wonderful as that is. And I don't condemn that at all. But you do it in addition to coming to church. You actually have some time each day where you're getting into and reading God's Word. Now you might say, well, Pastor, I don't know how to read it. Where do I start? I don't seem to understand. I'm going to help you with that as we get further in today's message in just a few moments. But the first thing is you've got to make a commitment. I'm going to be a reader of the Bible. Amen? You can't say you're getting back to the Bible if you don't read it. The second thing that's necessary is you have to value what you're reading. Just because you read a book doesn't mean you value it. But to value something is to place high, high premium on it. See, what do you value in your life more than anything else? Maybe it's a a stock portfolio or maybe it's a piece of jewelry you have or an heirloom that's been passed down to you from generations. Maybe there's something you keep in a safe somewhere. Let me ask you, how much do you value the Bible? Because the Bible is worth far more than millions of dollars. The Bible is worth far more than precious jewels. The Bible is worth far more than silver or gold. The great The greatest thing that you can have in your life is what you already have most likely in your lap right now. It's the Word of God. Because it is this Bible that will unlock your destiny. So you you might enter life with nothing, but if you got the Word of God, it'll make a way for you. I can't tell you how many people I've met through the years that started out in abject poverty or started out with all kinds of things against them, but they got a hold of God and God got a hold of them and they got God's Word in their heart and God's Word made a way for them in life and they begin to be prosperous and successful, not so much necessarily always in the realms of the world, but a life that had meaning. And the Bible says when you get the Word in you, it'll cause you to find good success. That's what God told Joshua. Let this book of the law... Be on your heart and mind day and night because it'll be what will give you good success. So you have to value it. How much do you value your Bible? Not just the book itself, but the, the, in, the truth that's in it. The third thing you have to do is give it the rightful place of authority in your life. You've got to let this book start becoming the final authority for your life. Now listen closely because some of you may disagree with me. If you disagree with me, that's okay. You have the right to be wrong. In our world today, no matter what you're hearing and people are telling you, there is a right and there is a wrong. In our world today, there is good and there is evil. See, the world would try to tell you there's no such thing as right and wrong. Whatever feels good to you, it's okay. Whatever you feel like doing, just, you know, you become your own arbitrator 
of what is right, an arbitrator of what is wrong. No, no, that's not what we understand from the Bible. This book actually tells us certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Amen? Now, until you accept that as being reality, then this book will never have any authority in your life. It only has authority when you begin to say, I I actually believe that this book tells me what is right and tells me what is wrong. Until I accept this as a voice of authority in my life, I will never, it'll be nothing more than just reading stories in in a book. But it's more than stories in a book. This is telling me this is right and this is wrong. This is good and this is evil. This is better and this is best. See, in this book, called the Bible, there are three basic things. There are precepts. Precepts are the laws of God. There are principles. That is, things that God says. This is where you live if you want to have a blessed life. And there are promises. So precepts, principles, and promises. Precepts are laws to be obeyed. Principles are, 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 are life lessons to build your life on and promises are things that you claim for your future. And God says, does this book have authority in your life? Are you willing to take it as the final authority for your life? The next thing is it has to be believed. You got to believe it. And it has to be obeyed. I'll mention that last point before I talk about believe here. It has to be obeyed. There's the laws of God. If you're going to go back to the Bible, it means you actually obey what the Bible says, right? Right? Come on, help me out, folks. I'm preaching hard up here, right? If you actually accept the Bible and you say, I'm going to go back to the Bible, what does that mean? It means you go back to the Bible and if it says something is right or something is wrong, you actually obey it, correct? Why? Because that's authority, okay? You're submitting to its authority, correct? And so those are the precepts and principles of God. If God says, this law is right, wrong, this is what you do, and here are the principles to live by, your response says, yes, sir, yes, Lord, I believe you know what's best for my life. I'm going to line up my life in obedience to your word. So I told you there are precepts, principles, and then there are promises. Believing comes into the realm of promises. Because God not only gives you rights and wrongs and principles to live by, but he has a promise for your life and for your future. That's where your faith comes in. But faith says, I'm going to reach out and grab hold of the promise. I'll quickly tell you a story from my life. We're just about to wrap up here, so stay closely with me as we turn this corner coming into the landing. When I was seven years old, I grew up in a Christian family. My dad's a pastor, so I was a pastor. And so I, I understand, understood church life. But at seven years of age, I didn't yet know Jesus personally. And so I remember going to bed one night, late one night. I was in my bed just really troubled by the fact of whether I knew Jesus or not. And I remember calling my dad into my room. and said, Dad, I want you to tell me how I can know Jesus. How can I go to heaven when I die? I want to make sure that I'm saved. I'm, I'm, I'm born again. And so my dad came in, opened up his New Testament, and shared with me some verses out of the book of Romans and just uh, walked me through the pathway to salvation. And I remember my dad reading to me Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and it said something to this effect, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. Verse 13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I remember him reading that verse to me, and what I heard was this, that if I will, if I will confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, I I will be saved. That was a promise to me. 
And so what I did as a seven-year-old little boy is with a little childlike faith that I had there in the moment, my faith reached out and grabbed a hold of that promise. God, you said that if I would confess you with my mouth and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, you said I would be saved, so I'm going to attach my faith to your promise. And do you know what happened there in that moment? I was saved. I was born again. A miracle happened in my life right there in that moment. Why? Because my faith reached out and grabbed hold of the promise of God's Word. Now, there are many promises that God has in His Word for you. And I will tell you that if you're going to have the best future that God wants you to have, you better discover the promises and then add your faith to the promises because when you add your faith to God's promises, it opens up incredible destiny for your life. If you don't know the promises, how can you claim them? There are a lot of Christians walking around. They have no clue as to what the promises of God are. And so they never experience the blessing of God associated with the promise because they're not willing to reach. They don't even know what it is. But when you get into the Bible, it's not only discovering the precepts or laws of God or the principles of God, but it's also discovering the promises of God where you attach your faith to those promises and amazing things happen in your life because God always honors His promises. Amen? So I have a simple message for you today. You ready for something fresh in your life? One thing you got to start doing, just like Josiah did. You got to get back to the Bible. That's exactly, it's not complex. You have to get, say it with me, back to the Bible. So how? Some of you here, you already have a pattern of Bible reading perhaps, or perhaps some of you here that you read the Bible sporadically from time to time. There are others of you that perhaps have never really gotten into the Bible, and so I was praying this summer and asking God to help me to help you. How can I help everybody here at our church get back to the Bible, no matter what your stage of development is in your, your spiritual life and journey? And so what I put together is I, I thought, what are the 60 top things that I, scripture passages or scripture themes that I would want every Christian in our church to understand. As, our, as your pastor, what would I want to make sure that you knew scriptures about? Okay, 60 of these things. And I listed all these out and we attached the proper scriptures to them. And I then took each of those and assigned one of those themes and one of those passages to each day for 60 days. And along with it, I wrote a very brief devotional. So I, I wrote a little book this summer. And the book's called, guess what? Back to the Bible. And I'm going to ask you right now, if you will, to reach down to the left-hand side of the aisle. There's a purple bag there. All of you on the left-hand side of the aisle, if you'll reach down to that book, to that little, uh, little thing there, little bag that you have there, purple bag. Reach inside of it and get this little card, okay? Everybody get one. On the front, it says back to the Bible. I want you to look to the, at the back side, okay? Get your copy. See where it says get your copy? So turn to the back side. Get a pen out, if you will, also. If you have a pen or pencil or get ready to borrow one from your neighbor or share one with your neighbor. I'm going to ask every one of you. I'm going to give you a challenge this, this afternoon. Anybody up for a challenge? I want to give you a challenge that for the next 60 days, you are going to get back to the Bible. 
And all it's going to require is five minutes a day, right? I'm not asking you for 30 minutes or 40 minutes a day, just five minutes. I would, I would venture to say that everybody here ought to be able to find at least five minutes a day to do this, right? If you can't five, find five minutes in your day, you probably ought to loosen up your schedule a little bit. You got a problem there, okay? You need to, you need to be able to find five minutes in your day, all right? Very simple. Well, in fact, actually, some of these can be done in less than five minutes. And I'm going to ask you to go through these devotionals with me, and here's the way you can get your copies of them. There's a print edition available, and those print editions are going to be at the doors on the way out. The ushers will have those available for you. If you just like to have something that's just a hard, no, I mean a soft copy print version that you can carry around, that's what it looks like, just like that. It's all printed up. It's available for you. You can get a copy on the way out. Some of you love that, just to have something you can put your hands on, uh, and that's, this, is, this is available for you, free of charge. Take it with you. Use it. It's got all the days outlined for you just day after day there. You'll see it. For those of you who love technology or utilize your smartphones or iPads or Androids, there are various ways that you can get this app. Actually, it's on the Apple Store. There's an app called Back to the Bible. and the Google Play Store, there's an app called Back to the Bible. There's an iBooks version. If you use iBooks to download uh, readable books there on one of your uh, iPad or iPhones, uh, you can get that in, in this electronic book form. A variety. Also, version. if you use version for your Bible study or Bible reading here in church, just simply go to version. Actually, we were very honored that Uversion accepted this as one of their, their plans that they put in force for anyone around the world to be able to use. So anywhere, anyone around the world can use uh, this version from our church. So we were blessed. They were willing to take that in, accept it as a part of their regular Bible reading plans. And all you do with Uversion, go to Uversion to the plan section and just t- uh, type in back to the Bible. All the instructions are there for you. Here's my challenge. Will you do this? If you will do this, would you take your pencil or pen right now and sign your name? Why are you saying I'm going to sign? Because this is a commitment, okay? I want you to get back to the Bible. And I want you to be serious enough about it that you're willing to put your name down and say, yep, I'm going to do this. And get a hold of one of those resources that will help you in the process. Now, once you get on your row, once everybody's sort of had a moment to sign that wants to sign, if you don't want to sign it, that's okay as well. But if you'd like to commit to this, I would encourage you to sign this because it's a way you're saying I'm going to do this. On the right-hand side of the aisles, there's some now some brown bags. The purple bag had the cards in it. The brown bag should be empty. And so take the brown bags and tear this part off, the lower part off. You can keep the top part. Tear the lower part off and just place your commitment form right back in there. And that's your way of saying I'm going to get back to the Bible. Amen? I'm going to give you a moment to do that and I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to have communion together wrap up today. So make sure you just pass those, those brown bags down, drop those in there, and we'll be praying for you. I want to pray now for you right now, that as you begin to get into the Bible, that you'll, you'll see and hear and experience things from God like you never have before. Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name that, Lord, as we get back into your Word, as some of us start reading your Word for the first time, Lord, as we use this devotional together, I ask you to speak to us in ways that will forever change our lives. I pray, Lord, that destinies would come into focus as we're studying your word together in this devotional as well as in this series. And do it, Lord, in our lives by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, 
getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and He saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.